Content warnings for this episode include discussion of toxic masculinity, gender dysphoria, mental health, religion, and anti-trans bigotry. Genderful would like to acknowledge the indigenous peoples and the unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests live and have dwelt upon. Today we honor the Coast Salish, Ojibwe and Dakota lands, and Duwamish. All right. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands and celebrate the living descendants of these people. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Meaty folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse folks about their special interests. The name of our show celebrates that gender expansiveness is wonderful. Hi, I'm Gender Master, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Atlas O Phoenix, and my pronouns are also they, them. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, and gender diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender diverse community. We want our audience to know that this show is hosted by two folks who also identify as non-binary, transmasculine, neurodivergent, and disabled with a passion for telling trans stories. If you're new to our show, welcome. We're delighted you're here. At the end of this interview, we have Clutter Query, where we like to ask you a question related to this week's topic. We'd like to invite you, our listeners, to answer the Clutter Query on our social media platforms. This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to those helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. If you would like to support the show with your time, please join our Discord server and meet the community and get a regular digest of Solidarity resources. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays at twitch.tv forward slash gendermaster. Show notes will appear in the edited version of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you love the show, check out some of our earlier episodes. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There are no social or medical prerequisites to be included in the community. So welcome right. to Genderful episode 74, everyone. This week, our guest is Mac Scotty McGregor, he, him pronouns, and we're going to be chatting about positive masculinity. So Mac, my wife actually is the person who suggested you for the show and you all go way back. It turns out. <laughs> yes, it is a she, small world. Right? She says that you are, she referred to you as an A-list or trans person. I don't know if you have heard that reflected to you before, but no. she's like, wait, what? Max on your show? She's in the chat right now. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember seeing you at Trans Pride this year, marshalling yeah. all the security folks. Yes, I was helping, assisting as a, one of the co-security leads. Yeah. Uh, I've been involved in Trans Pride since it started. So yeah. that's so wonderful. Yeah. She's been on the security team with them for at least seven years. I don't know, a while. So it's such a pleasure to have you here. And then, of course, my co-host is Atlas. 
Hello, welcome Hi. to Jennifer Mac. Wonder <laughs> welcome. Thank Great you. to have you here. We had really fun banter, which made us put our hats on. So here we were styling with shirts, glasses, hats. The party over here. Yes. The party. <laughs> All right. This is the closest thing to a hat I have in reaching distance. Okay. Oh, there we go. That's perfect. Yeah. For those That's listening, perfect. I just put a sparkly rainbow masquerade mask on my forehead because I'm already wearing rainbow glasses. God, that's what they, I knew they were rainbow glasses. Yeah. I have a purple pork pie hat. What do you have, Mac? <laughs> what do I have, purple? No, what, what's your what hat? kind of hat do you have? those listening fedora? later and can't it's see us. It's a fedora, us. yeah, it's a fedora. It's sure. a rainbow fedora. It's like a quilted yeah. rainbow. I think I got this in New Orleans. So. That's a good hat. <laughs> that's, that's a great a hat. I love that hat. sash. Oh my <laughs> goodness. All right, well, thanks for coming on today. And I think I'll pop up with the first question. Is that cool, Gender? It sounds All great. Right? Yeah. All right. What might be the things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated that you might be gender diverse someday? That started very young for me. Okay. So I was born and raised in the Bible Belt. I've mostly recovered. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Glad to have you here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I went to a Southern Baptist school growing up. And, you know, so I had zero ex access to the LGBTQ community or influence, or I really didn't know anybody that was out until I was in my 20s. Okay. But I knew that the Southern Belle Scarlett O'Hara type given name I, I had did not represent me at all. And at four and five years old, I started changing my name to a masculine name, playing with other kids. I was born in the 60s, so the word transgender wasn't even around yet. And of course, I had no exposure to the community, so I wouldn't have known it anyway, but that word had not even come around. So the only way as a little kid that I knew how to describe what I was feeling was by what I chose to wear and by telling kids a masculine name. And... I came up with an interesting, funny name because my grandfather and I had a couple of TV shows we watched together every week. It okay. was our thing. You know, my mom had me at 16 and my grandparents helped raise me when I was young. So my grandfather, so. my grandfather and I used to watch Bonanza and Gunsmoke together, two Westerns, like all the time, religiously, that was our thing. And so I told the kids, and I, you all are probably, you know, a little young for those shows, unless you saw reruns. On I remember Bonanza. I remember right. it. Yes. Right. Fantastic show. Yes. I told the kids my name was Matt Dillon, the sheriff on Gunsmoke. And I wore little six shooters and a little cowboy hat and the whole thing. And so, you know, when you're born with an F in your first test of life you know they put an f on that piece of paper that follows us around it's okay you can get away with being a tomboy as a little kid even in the yeah. bible belt. yeah yeah wow yeah. okay My thought it was cute when kids would come knock on the door and ask if matt Dillon could come out and play <laughs> you know that explains the shirt that i saw in the suit that i saw on instagram that's stylish that stylish thing started very young matt Dillon, perfect Perfect. Yes. Oh my goodness. How has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Such a deep dive right into my journey and just, you know, one of the things about growing up in something like the Bible Belt, and it, the gender roles were very defined. Yeah. They were, you know, and they were small little boxes on each side of that binary that they wanted mm -hmm. you to fit in. 
And so, of course, the older I got, the more I knew that I didn't fit what they were telling I was supposed to be, you know, or how I was supposed to walk in the world, according to them. And so, yeah, I did, a, you know, a lot of exploring. And then when I was 17, I had this, I did this thing. I started martial arts at six. Mm. And when I was 17, I won the United States lightweight fighting title. And so I began traveling the world, competing on a national and international level, of course. And that opened up my world. So I got to get out of my little small town Bible Belt area and see that there are more that I wasn't the only one. You know what I mean? There are more mm -hmm. queer people out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, I do. I know how that feels. It's yeah. the same kind of transition when I left Dayton, Ohio to come to Minneapolis, which is like the third place in, in the country for most, you know, LGBTQIA folks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes a big difference, right? It's a very lonely existence when you think you're the only one. And of course, you know, there was no internet when I was growing up to find community. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. I mean, I decided to come out when I first came to Minneapolis. So yeah, that's what like prompted all of that. I was in a great place. So yeah, I was like 20. So yeah. All right. Do you want to ask the next question there, gender? Sure. So, so how has your gender evolved some more over time? So you talked about kind of your high school age, but so something has happened between that moment and now where you're this like fully manifested adult man with a fabulous hat and a big grin. Uh, so, you know, what was it like? I mean, my guess is you've probably had testosterone because you're growing a fabulous beard. Yeah. What was it like figuring out like HRT and any surgeries you may or may not have had, especially in the years that you were having those, if you feel comfortable sharing? Sure. Well, let me back up just sure. a little bit before that. Yeah. And say that I was then on the U.S. karate team and... So I had, after I started traveling and finding more queer people in the world, done some research, you know, about, about transitioning and everything, but I knew how rare of an opportunity it was to be on a team like the U.S. karate team. Sure. And I worked really hard for it. Yeah, you did. And I also knew that, you know, I was in a contact sport because all my awards are in fighting and sparring. And so that's even more complicated. And they had no idea back then what to do with trans athletes. So I knew they would, if I had started medical transition, they would have not allowed me to compete. I happen to have really good genetics that I'm very grateful for as an athlete, whereas my body held up to that kind of high level training and competition for a long time. My, my body healed well, it just held up, uh, you know, under that well. And so wow. the last time I competed in an international competition, I was 39 years old. Wow. So I started at six. This is a long career, right? Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. And yeah. I won two, that was the world championships. And I won two medals in that. And I had, I was the oldest one male or female on the, on the team at the time. And wow. there were 18 and 19 year old kids on the team calling me the grandparent of the team at 39. That's so funny. <laughs> I didn't want to smack them a little bit, but you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> But, You'll be you know, 39 someday. <laughs> yeah, right. I won two medals and I thought this is probably a good time to retire, right? <laughs> go out on top. Right? Get out, go out on top. That's right. Yeah. Like if you win $3,000 at this casino, just leave. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did, I retired. And then that also allowed me, they would still let me coach and referee. 
I'm an mm-hmm. Olympic certified coach and referee, and I've coached 59 national karate champions. And that was fine. I could transition and do those things, but they wouldn't have allowed me to compete. So this freed me then to, to start exploring my journey of, of being my full authentic self. I did a lot of research as to where was the best place to go do that because there weren't doctors where I was from in the South, in the Bible Belt little area that were used to treating transgender folks. There weren't therapists that had you know experience with this and there wasn't community to talk to people that had been through the process. So I visited Seattle a few times and you know how it is. I visit, If you visit Seattle in the summer, it will seduce you. Yes, it will. Mm, yeah, I've it's, never it's been. perfect in the summer. It's 70 degrees, <laughs> sunny, and the grass is still green because it rains the other nine months of the year. Yeah, and the mountain is out, and it's beautiful. And the mountain is out, yeah. The humidity is not so thick like where I'm from that you can cut it, you know? Exactly. Wow. So I want to back up for a second. Did you say you were an Olympic coach? Yes. Whoa. I'm a Olympic certified coach and referee. And yeah, so I've coached, you know, a bunch of national champions and 29 junior Olympic champions, which that's the youth up to 18 years old. But okay. yeah, yeah, I love coaching. I love helping people achieve things they never thought they could. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you for doing that work. Thank you so much. I mean, that kind of inspiration. Oh, are you ready to switch topics, gender? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to do it? I can. So, so Mac, your whole deal is you have a business that revolves around positive masculinity. I wonder for those who are maybe less familiar with either gender theory or just feminism in general, would you be willing to define maybe positive masculinity and toxic masculinity for folks who've never heard of these phrases before? Sure. I think I just Uh, saw you grab a book. I'm excited. Well, I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to, I'm looking at my book because the tagline really describes what I, my definition of positive masculinity is a heart-led, growth-conscious, emotionally intelligent, and inclusive masculinity. So, you know, I would say traditional masculinity. I do talk in the book about the difference between toxic and traditional masculinity, and I think it's important to define the difference because somebody can have what we would call traditional values. And if they don't push those on somebody else or discriminate or judge other people, if they don't have the same values, then it's not toxic per se, right? Right. Right. Anything can become toxic if you try to force it on others. Yes, yes. And then there are things that are just outright toxic behaviors that, you know, for instance, rape culture, also thinking you have to put other people, certain groups of other people down to make yourself feel, you know, like you're the man. Women down and putting LGBTQ people down, things like that. That's toxic. You know, yeah. there's no way around that. It's toxic. What I get people to do in this work is to, you know, go back and examine or re-examine now as a conscious adult, the way you were socialized and socially conditioned to think that you have to be walking the world as a man. And we've all had messaging and modeling around gender in our lives. And most of us, the thing of it is, we don't go back and re-examine all of that and decide what's serving me well and what is not. And what is not, get rid of it and replace it with something healthier. 
Yeah, that's right. I love that. I'm actually taking notes like a good student, which I just lost the sentence I was trying to write, but I figured it out. Anyway, let's see. Let's try the next question here. What made you write about masculinity? That's a really good question. I'd love to know that answer. Well, I'm going to give you a, this is a very personal thing to me because when I got to the place, you know, after retirement and doing my research where mm -hmm. I could go into beginning my medical transition, I had a little bit of a battle within myself about it. And I've also traveled the world teaching self-defense and empowering women all over the place. I've taught in women's shelters and women's prisons and all kinds of places. And, you know, there was a little bit of a battle in me and it, it being a top, what the world viewed as female athlete, I put up with a lot of sexism. Yeah. And so there was a part of me that was battling inside. Do I want to become a part of this group of people who've caused so much damage? Oh, yeah. I've visited that same thought, too. Yeah. And I heard my grandfather's voice. He had passed away, but I heard his voice in the back of my head when I was going through this, thinking about this. And my grandfather, one of the really wise teachings he gave me was, if you want to create change, most of the time, change happens from within. You can't stand outside of a group, point your finger at them and go, I hope they change or I want them to change or I can't stand how they are, you know, <laughs> get in there and get involved to create change. Yeah. And so that to me, his voice telling me that was my green light. Well, what we need is more good men and good masculine people standing up, speaking up and doing the right thing. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I have a question for you. How old were you when you started your transition now that you were a coach and you were doing, you were an Olympic coach and for junior Olympics and for Olympics, when did you start your transition? I was 42. So I lived the first 42 years, the meaning of life walking the experience of, you know, walking the world as a woman business owner and, you know, top in my field. And well, that experience has made me a better man. I'll tell you that because mm -hmm. it's, wow, it's very enlightening. Yeah. What was the pushing point, the tipping point for you? Besides mm -hmm. research and moving to Seattle, what was the tipping point? Just wanting to live in my full authenticity. You know, I've always been masculine and I just, you know, was tired of like, of not being able to live in my full authenticity. I think we all get to a point where you're tired of doing, living your life for everyone else or to, you know, to please or make everyone else comfortable, right? Yes. I began mine at 50 a couple of years ago. You know that. Yeah. 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 So that was the tipping point too, was like, okay, like it's a pandemic. What am I going to do about me? And how do I take care of myself? So it sounds like, you know, we both transitioned as we were older. And so that's really exciting to hear. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you have, what's your question there, gender? Oh, so Mac, you mentioned teaching self-defense to women. And I actually used to teach a dancing class. It was called Ladies Take the Lead, which I now have plenty of feelings about the way I branded that. But I taught people who, if they would show up to a regular, just standard default cishet dance class, they would be told you have to follow. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no, we're going to flip the gender script. Any of those people, I'm going to teach you how to lead. Like I'm going to teach you this more powerful position you know the next step beyond that is like gender neutral following where you switch back and forth who's lead and i also got into some of that later in my dance career but yeah i'm just i'm curious like for me at least it was so empowering to teach people how to use their voice and to like have that like creative autonomy because as as in dance as the leading person you kind of 
choose a lot of where you're going to be in, in space, like what twirls or moves are you initiating? And then the other person has to say, yes, I'm going to do that and then actually follow through. So it is a conversation, but there's this really interesting piece with that. And I wonder if you ran into any of that teaching self-defense to people who don't typically learn self-defense or don't feel like classes like that are available to them. Just, it was a powerful experience for me and I wanted to share and also hear if you had anything else to share about that experience. Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, I had also taught of course in some of those places when you're talking about women's shelters, some people that have been through abusive situations and to be able to teach something that gives them some of their power back where they feel like they can walk with some confidence after you know going through something like that and to watch the confidence grow in them as they learn it's you know it makes it all worth it it's just a beautiful thing to see you know and also it brings them more into their body so they're more embodied you know which a lot of times after people have been through abusive situations that's hard for them too so yeah. it's a, a healing thing as well disassociate from your body after significant abuse yeah yeah i understand that oh wow this is wonderful Okay, I'm looking through the questions. Okay, how can we begin to peel back the layers of gender, social conditioning, and socialization? It's a very light question. Yeah, just, just a, yeah, easy. <laughs> easy <laughs> question, easy question. Take your time, take all day. No, we've got two hours. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is not work for the faint at heart. That's what I would say. It, it's really introspective work getting in deep to the modeling and messaging that helped form our belief systems. You know, because I think gender, the way we have been socialized around gender is part of the very fabric of our society, the foundational thing. So it really shakes people a little bit to get them to go back and look at this and realize that a lot of the things they were taught you know, just aren't true. They just aren't, yeah. you know, that it's all yeah. a construct. It's <laughs> all a construct. That's right. It's, wow. Because you're learning someone else's wounds that have been passed on to you. And so until you can learn to kind of process your own wounds, you walk in that shadow of this other person. And so it's like kind of going back to your authentic self by examining from the inside out. Is that what you would say this was? Oh, definitely. And I think one of the scary things about it for a lot of people is when we're asking them to go back and take a deep dive into their socialization and social conditioning, they're having to go back and look at people that were models for them that they cared about. Mm -hmm. Parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers and people that, you know, they loved and looked up to, right? And so sometimes that's difficult to look and have to recognize that those people weren't perfect they had flaws they didn't know everything right yeah yeah and you know as wonderful as my grandfather was he was an amazing role model in my life in many ways there are also There's, some things that I what are some remember. of those ways oh well he was a businessman he believed you know he was really you know about teaching me about getting involved if, to, to help create change he didn't sit back and he believed in community he was a city councilman he was, you know, he owned his own business and he took me around with him. I was his little mini me and taught me a lot about how to work. He could talk to anybody and tell a great story, you know, so he was a lot of fun. And I was his little fishing buddy and we'd solve, you know, world problems in the John boat fishing. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. I love it. What do you miss most about your grandfather? Oh, the, just his stories. 
he was just such an amazing storyteller and he was the kind of storyteller that like if he talked about a guy saw and he'd be doing the motion as he talked about it you know he was like into it you know oh that's wonderful i love that i love that oh my goodness ginger do you have some questions oh i have plenty I'll of questions that one. i'm i have plenty of questions that i'm wrangling but okay. i'm just trying to figure out the order to put them in because we have so many wonderful things to talk about is there anything else you would like to say mac about how your martial arts background helped you navigate your gender journey do you feel complete on that or is there anything else you wanted to add well, i think there's so much to that like so yeah. much of the work that i'm doing today i can't even take the martial arts training i've had and experiences i've had out of any part of my life because it's been such a integral part of my life right and helped mm -hmm. form a lot of who i am you know one of the things that i think it really helped me with in navigating my gender journey is understanding how to be centered and when you're yeah you're going through especially the first couple of years of hrt of hormone replacement therapy whew, you're going through another puberty so it isn't so easy to be centered so to have skills that you know that can help center you through that are helpful <laughs> yeah <laughs> another puberty at 42 and 50 it's like well how can we skip this can we take a special pill and skip this too or whatever <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. So oh, I definitely think that helped. I also think that the other way it helped is you learn, you're not somebody who follows the crowd or feels as pressured by peer pressure. There's something in the martial arts that teaches you to, you know, to be your own person and to follow, you know, you know, to follow your heart. There's something that, that gives you the confidence to do that, I think, in, mm -hmm. in the martial arts that is different. Um, is it more like based around intuition versus instinct? You know, instinct feels like a reaction, but intuition feels like a response to your body that informs you like what to say or what to do next. What would you say there? Yeah, I would definitely say it's intuition. Yeah. And the other thing is that I'm much more in tune with my body. Of course, as an athlete, I had to be embodied and it, you know, I wasn't, I'm not the average person in the trans community that hated my body. Mm had a lot of bad gender dysphoria and uh, and the mm -hmm. reason is because my body as an athlete gave me a lot of privilege right it opened doors for me it helped me be able to travel the world you know i got to do all kinds of really great things because this is a fine-tuned machine that worked well for me right 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 okay yeah. yeah yeah i understand that a little bit for myself like i didn't have like a lot of kind of like feeling bad about my body because i was like well you know i made it for 50 years and it's still working and so you know now i'm just like creating the body that i've always wanted with testosterone and surgeries and so it's like you know like the like the cake and then the cherry on top of the cake and the cake is like having a healthy body to begin with and then the cherry is being like oh i can like manipulate my body to exactly the way i want it to be and so that feels more fulfilling to my heart so yeah is yeah. that something you relate to i totally relate to that yeah okay. and i was much more in tune with of course my body going through because when you're very embodied and you're used to being in tune with your body as an athlete and listening to your body you know, you're you know i was much more in tune with my body going through those changes and that's also a reason why it was so important for me personally to you know be in a place where i could have doctors that really knew what they're doing because i had a bajillion yeah. questions because i wanted to do this in the healthiest way possible right yeah i understand that what was a question that you felt 
uncomfortable asking, but had to push through a wall to ask? And then what was the response when you got the answer? Was it a sense of relief or were there more questions? Well, I think one question that I, it was uncomfortable for me to ask, and this was prior to having a hysterectomy, but you know, starting at 42, I asked my doctor, you know, what happens when I go through, you know, what happens with menopause when I get to the age where I'm going through menopause? How's that going to affect my hormone levels? And will mm -hmm. we have to change the dosing of, you know, HRT and all that? How would mm -hmm. that, and what's so interesting is one of the things when you're a person who asks a lot of questions, you know, especially to doctors in the trans and gender nonconforming communities, there's a whole lot of things that they just don't have the answers for because yeah. there hasn't money for research and you find yeah. out that we're kind of like guinea pigs right now in a lot of ways with some of this mm -hmm. you know unfortunately most of the money for medical research comes from old cis white men you know <laughs> and so they're yeah. not like investing a lot into trans medical research yeah i feel it'll be very a different experience for someone who's 50 and you know 20 years from now versus 50 and 2020 you know, like, it's part of the reason I'm making my film. And it's just like, you know, like, I had a lot of questions. And it took me a couple of years to finally talk to my doctor about it. And part of it was like, I'm 50, can I even transition? And, you know, what about menopause? And it was like, oh, the HRT will pitch you into menopause will be done in three months. I was like, score, you know, so it happened, it's done. It's taking me more than three months. But yes, okay, <laughs> you do go through menopause when you start T. My hope yes. is once my uterus is gone. Whoop-de-doo-da, it's there. Speed the process up because I'm very tired of the hot flashes. I would like them to end, please. Yes, <laughs> I still get those from time to time, too. It's just like... Oh, yeah. body lights up like a Christmas tree. So it's like... <laughs> Themo pause. The chat is saying Themo pause. Yeah. I'm grateful that I at least had top surgery first because now I can just rip my shirt open. That's why I wear the snappy buttons because it's just like, all right, too hot, cannot anymore. Less than one second and later. The sound is always nice. <laughs> yeah, ripping yes. 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 I feel like, I I feel like Superman. So. Yes, I have a Dapper Boy shirt. So I have like a snap here and a snap there and a snap there. So it's kind of like unbutton, snap, unbutton, snap. So it's yeah. a slow motion, incredible hulk. But yes, I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is much faster. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. He's Anyways, hot flashes. Hot flashes are a thing. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> I aspire. Well, and I think that's that's one reason it's good for people further down in the gender journey to talk to those behind. Not only for those of us here, but also for people in chat who haven't even started tea or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we need this community-based knowledge because our, like, the bigger entities, right? Like, the medical system in any country, but especially the United States at this time, like isn't taking care of us the way that we need to be taken care of. So we have to do for ourselves what others are unwilling to do for us. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, but I will mention one other thing that came up medically that was interesting for me. And there's been now a decent amount of talk about this within the trans community, but not enough, is that mm -hmm. after you're on T for a long time, you know, maybe I'm talking like eight to 15 years. People have real problems with, and this actually happened to me, and I talked to a couple of other trans guys that have been on T for a long time. I started getting cramps again. 
prior to hysterectomy. What made me, this is what really made me hurry up and go get the hysterectomy. Okay. Was that I started getting cramps again and mainly around arousal. So what happens is because of being on T that long, your uterus and ovaries atrophy. Yeah, they do. And then when you are aroused, all that blood flow, extra blood flow is trying to get through there and it's atrophied so much it, it backs up and it's hard to get through there and it causes cramping. And I mean, I mean, I'm not talking a little cramping. I'm talking sometimes like you're grabbing your, your stomach and doubling over. Like, yeah. Whoa. It's a pretty sharp pain. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've okay. been having that every weekend. Mm, and wow. that's why we switched my dose to twice a week on tea. We like, so I'm on 0.44 milligrams. So we cut it in half and we did it twice as often. One, to manage the estrogen and keep it more level throughout the week. But that's absolutely a motivating factor for me to have the hysterectomy. It's like, no. <laughs> wow. Like yeah. It. I ironically had my hysterectomy five years ago, just before Halloween, but I only had like my uterus taken out. So I still have the cervix and the ovaries and I'm getting, I'm actually having a consultation in a couple of days where I get the rest of it out because I'm having phalloplasty at the end of the year. And so, so yeah, but it's, it would have been, I think a much more complicated experience had I kept everything. And so, so yeah. yeah. So Trans Capybara, who is my wife, has a question in the Twitch chat. She's asking, post-estrogen for you, Mac, was there a further realization or unlocking a layer of masculinity that you would not have discovered otherwise? Like, did that removal of those organs shift any of your interior landscape additionally? I know mine has shifted multiple times on my gender journey. That's also our next question, too, but anyways. <laughs> Lead in. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think it had shifted much because I had been on T for quite a while, I think 10 years, almost 10 years when I had my hysterectomy. Okay. So, yeah, I don't think so. Maybe, you know, <laughs> I think the only other thing, the only thing I've found that have shifted is sleep patterns. Oh, can you explain more about that, please? Yeah. If you're comfortable. Having, tr like, waking up more in the night, like, I, I don't know what that is or if it has anything to do with that. Or just, yeah. you know, who knows? Yeah, but that has definitely been something that I've struggled with kind of since, I would say, <laughs> it's been the last few years. I mean, since the pandemic and, you know, this hysterectomy oh. was about that during that time at the beginning of that. So Okay. So when you had your hysterectomy, then you started waking up in the middle of the night is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Having a little bit of a harder time getting back to sleep, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I switched from gel to the shot about four weeks ago, and my body has dramatically changed. And my sleep, I get up at five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, like just wake up. Even if I go to bed at 11, or if I go to bed at nine, or if I go to bed at midnight, I just pop up at like six o'clock in the morning, and I'm ready to work. And I'm just like, I just would love to sleep in. But like, my body's like, no, you must work now. And I'm like, okay, I guess just get my patootie out of bed and go to work. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. So, yes. <laughs> Sometimes our body has other ideas, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I wish we could agree more. <laughs> like this is a relationship. We're supposed to talk to each other. <laughs> like you need to call a meeting. I, you know, Zoom? I'd have a Zoom meeting with myself. <laughs> I love that. You know, there is some knowledge from the plurality spheres that me and my friends are in at times 
there are ways to talk to yourself, right? So you can journal yes. back and forth with yourself. You can, mm -hmm. some people will use a discord server and maybe have like use plural kit to have different bots represent the different headmates or the different aspects of oneself. If you're like, you know, here's me, here's my inner child, here's my inner sage, here's my whoever, you know, mm -hmm. and you can actually have those conversations with yourself, either using a keyboard or a pen and paper. And mm -hmm. I think that sort of introspection is really powerful. Yeah, I tend to do that like out, like if there was a camera on the wall aside from the camera I'm shooting with, I talk to myself all the time. And so like I go back and forth between my inner child and myself, like when I'm upset about something, I'm like, ask my inner child, okay, what's really going on? You're upset, so what's really going on? It's like, yeah. well, mom did this and I didn't like that. I'm like, mom's not here anymore, so let's work this work through it together. Yeah. And so it's like that self-parenting that I've literally had to do for most of my life. So I just, I've just gotten better at it since finishing therapy and stuff. So that's amazing. And, you know, thinking of that, I'm writing two other books right now. <laughs> not just one, just two. Not right this minute, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> not during the podcast. You're not actually <laughs> writing during the podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's massive multitasking. Congratulations. <laughs> but one of them is called Hey Little One. And it is, so I had a pretty tumultuous growing up. You know, I talked about my grandparents, but I was back and forth between my mom and grandparents, and it was pretty tumultuous. And like I said, my mom had me at 16, but she was married five times by the time she was 25. And she's on her 12th marriage now, and I'm the oldest, so I got to help pick up all the pieces of the emotional fallout from all that. And so, you know, during a lot of trauma that happened through all of that, no one ever, like, checked in on my brother and I because my mom has deals with mental illness it was always rushed to fix her crisis and they didn't think to say how are you kids doing how is this sitting with you you know how are you because we get moved around a lot or you know you know she like she went away with a guy for a weekend came back married and moved him and his two kids in with us I mean just things like that would happen it's like a whirlwind you know you had no and you know so <laughs> Wow. So I started the Hey Little One is I am, my grandparents have passed and, you know, so I've written letters to my little self, mm -hmm. checking in with my little self like I wish somebody would have done. Yes. Or healing that inner child, right? The inner yeah. child work is really massive. Yeah. You know, because everybody goes, oh, everybody always said to me, oh, you're strong and you're independent. You handle things in an amazing way. But I was a little kid. I shouldn't have had to be handling all that on my own, right? That's yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes people just want to see the strong side, but they don't understand the vulnerability that's really underneath it. And it's very, you know, the strong side is kind of thin compared to the amount of vulnerability that it's masking. Yeah. And the weight that the, that you're carrying while doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a very healing thing. And I even wrote letters back and forth to my grandparents to say things I would wished I would have said or asked them mm. questions been able to ask you know that's yeah. wonderful work that's wonderful yeah. work mac congratulations that's awesome so mac i have one more question before trans capybara is asking in the chat for those of us raising masculine identified kids what are points to keep in mind as a parent to guide those folks towards a positive masculinity model yeah i call it masculinities i think one of the biggest things that we can teach our young people is there's not one way to be masculine or feminine or trans or genderqueer or whatever. There are many variations of that, right? One of the things that I teach, even, you know, when I'm teaching cis folks, 
about gender is I get them to look at it as a spectrum like we do most of us do with sexuality now, mm -hmm. trying to get people to understand gender as a spectrum as well. But even if I lined up, you know, a hundred cis men, right? There are very different ways they could be masculine. I mean, we have everybody from The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, mm -hmm. you know, the tough guy, right? To Mr. Rogers on another end that is very different. Those are very different forms of masculinity. <laughs> They're masculinities. And we can do the same thing with femininity. There's not one way to be feminine. There are many ways to be. And so I think just letting the kids, you know, know that it's a spectrum and you be, you know, nobody else should define your masculinity for you or femininity for you, you know, is very free. It seems to go back to embodiment. Yeah, totally. totally. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. Masculinity, the business. Okay, tell us about your work as a gender educator and activist, please. Well, I had been teaching martial arts for so long when I transitioned and came to Seattle and got involved in this community. You know, I'm inducted into the martial arts hall of fame in two categories. One is a, as a competitor and the other one is a master teacher and coach. So with my experience teaching and coaching, not long after I transitioned and got into the community here, there were a few people who said to me, we need more people with your kind of background and being a public speaker and teacher to help explain this journey to people who don't understand. It. And, you know, I have been a public speaker forever doing motivational type speaking as, a, as an athlete and, you know, that kind of thing. And so it wasn't difficult for me to transition that to teaching about gender. And also, I think one of the benefits of me growing up in that religious background, and my first degree is in religious studies, is I can also talk to the people who have, you know, objections to us being who we are, all of us in the queer alphabet soup of our community. I can talk to them, you know, they can bring up religious objections to me, and I know that stuff. I know the history of it. I know you know, I can talk to them about it in a way that they can hopefully receive some things that open their minds and hearts. Mac, okay. my first two degrees are in religion. Nice. And when my wife first met me, she actually thought of you. And she told me recently that she kind of thinks of me being on a trajectory as like one day being someone who's like you, like just a very positive person, like open-hearted, loving, that sort of thing. And yeah, it's fun to hear you mention that. I've written papers about it. I've had countless discussions about it. It's powerful. I know for me, I wanted to study religion because I wanted to understand people better. I didn't want to find the one true religion TM. I wanted to understand the multiple paradigms that people use to make sense out of the world so that I could connect with them better. And so it's just, it's cool to hear you mention that. I had no idea. Yeah, you know, one of the first things I ask people is who come from a religious background, you know, is do you think God makes mistakes? Mm -hmm. And then I just wait, let them sit with that, you know, and of yeah. course they say, well, no, of course God doesn't make mistakes. And then I ask them if they understand what the word intersex means. And then usually I have to educate them about what that is because most of them don't know. And then when you, when you tell them that they're, you know, they've now discovered in science over 60 variations of being, inter, of ways to be intersex, and that there are at least as many intersex people in the world as there are redheads, they go, what? Wow. God, you know, if God had intended for gender to be just 
binary, there wouldn't be all of this in the middle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thus creating a spectrum. Yeah, you just leave them with steam coming out of their ears for on that one, you know. It's yeah. Wow. What is it like for you when you see the steam come out of their ears? Oh, I love that. <laughs> Why do you love it? love that because they're thinking in ways they hadn't thought before yeah that's why yeah they're questioning their own you know when any of us have a thing we think we know or believe and somebody proposes new information to us it might not be new in the world but it's new to us mm -hmm. makes us rethink what we thought we knew we all have that reaction you know it's like yeah so what i'm discovering is that you thoroughly enjoy and are nearly positively amused by being a catalyst for positive change oh, but, you know like getting in there and just moving the rooms in their mind and expanding their thought process like you thoroughly enjoy this yeah it's one of my superpowers i think it's my string if you want to call it or my calling one of the things I mean, my martial arts students is you know about looking at it. so i relate everything back to martial arts it's just kind of my you know, so much a part of been so much a part of my life right if you look at an attack coming in at you from one angle a physical attack you know i'm talking self-defense here you look at a physical attack coming from one angle you'll see certain openings but if i shift my angle from a di to a different perspective you know i'm going to see very different things Yes. And, and so this is just a physical way for people to, they can visualize that happening, right? Mm -hmm. thing about our beliefs and things, if we are presented with different information, yeah, it shifts our perspective, right? Yes. <laughs> different view. Yes. I had that happen to me this morning. I was talking to my electrolysist and she helped me realize some things that I could actually do that would be more effective. And that was great. Like for other people that are seeking electrolysis for bottom surgery. And I just came home completely shuddered and enjoying every second of it. I love it when someone helps me change my mind about things by expanding my knowledge. I just love that. I love it. That's why I love to talk with people is just to get that expansion. I just love it. It does something to my DNA. Like it really yeah. does. It changes me and I love it. I love it. Oh I like doing that for other people, but I like doing it for myself. I talk about my teaching, but I'm a forever life student. I started reading books like The Course in Miracles and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross books on death and dying when I was 16 and 17. I was like trying to figure out the meaning of life, reading things. You know, most 16 and 17 year olds don't read self-help books. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I was reading everything I could get my hands on about that. Leo Biscogli. Mm -hmm love doctor i read all of his stuff you know i read a lot of these you know because i was trying to figure out purpose what are we here for what's this whole existence about you know yeah and i'm yeah. still very curious and i think curiosity is um it's a key that keeps us young yes it is it's the key to life it really is and you know like i was reading self-help books at, and when i was 20 when nobody else was and there was nobody in the book aisle of the self-help aisle and now i'm trying to get like atomic habits from the library online and i'm 600 number 600 waiting for it you know <laughs> i've read it it's great I've read it i've read i've listened to like an hour of it, but I need to get to the rest of the other four hours. But yes, I'm on the wait list. So yes. I also oh read A Course of Miracles in high school. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my mom was really into that. And what was it? The Celestine Prophecies. She was into that too. She was into all oh, that yes. new age self-help stuff. 
She was like teaching. She was actually, she's been a guest on the show before. She was teaching Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way classes. Like she would facilitate these classes. And so I grew up with facilitators as parents. So running a show like this is second nature to me because it's like, oh yeah, of course. You just get people together and figure it out. And it's beautiful. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Your mom is awesome too. My goodness. She's cool. She just did a tarot reading for 2023. Our last stream of 2022 was her doing a reading for the next year. So that's on YouTube if anyone wants to check it out. So fun. So Mac, you wrote a book. Can you tell us about it? Yes. It's called Positive Masculinity Now. And it is out in Kindle and print right now on Amazon. And I'm in the studio recording the audio version right now. We expect that to be out in March. Oh, wonderful. So great. Congratulations. I'm going to get that from the library too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really am excited about the audio book going out because I know that there's so many people that's the way they can intake the information better. Me too. That's me. I'm that person. Yes. I can't even read a book now. I just love audiobooks so much. I mean, I read a book, but because I have to, but like, I love audiobooks. I can just wash dishes and fold clothes and play with my cat. Be like, oh my gosh, I love that point you just made. Yes. It's like having a conversation where I don't talk for a change and someone just talks at me. I get that. So yeah, about five years ago now, it's been almost five years now. I got this download. I call it from the universe or some people Mm -hmm. or whatever. I've had these from time to time in my life, and it usually is telling me something big that I need to do. And it was during the height of the Me Too movement. It was, I, you know, what I was thinking a lot about the fact that all these people are talking about toxic masculinity and the patriarchy, right? That conversation was going on online all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. About how it had affected people. But there were very few men involved or masculine people involved in the conversation, with the exception of a few outliers that were you know, fussing about the fact that the women talking about this, mainly women talking about this, were trying to take their masculinity away, you know? So I thought, well, men need to be involved in this conversation. And number one, not only be involved in it, but number one, need to look at how has the patriarchy and toxic masculinity affected us as well. Right. It's hurt everyone. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a gain. It's not a system of gains. Right. Well, you know, the bell hooks quote about the first victim of the patriarchy are little boys and toxic masculinity are little boys because it tells them to shut a whole part of themselves down, their emotional beings mm-hmm. to shut down, right? Yes, so, I had an experience with that. Yes. Yeah. So my vision was I envisioned all of these different types of masculine people coming together. And I saw, I kept seeing this like a movie playing in my head in a big room. I'm talking of all different ages, ethnic backgrounds, different life experiences, and unpacking how these things have affected us mm-hmm. yeah, in a supportive environment, but then working on helping to create a healthier model of masculinity going forward for all people. That's right. And so yeah. that's how I started this. And I okay. called my good friend, Drew Griffin, who mm. Drew and I had been involved in PFLAG and activist work all, all over together. He's my, I call it, he's my activist spouse. And we had hung out. And when I ran for office in Seattle, he was my campaign manager. We had a lot of fun together. And I also knew that Drew had personal experience with toxic masculinity like I had. Coming up as a female athlete, I had experienced a lot of that. Things like you could win 
a million championships and these guys will say things to you like you're really good for a girl yeah oh my god yeah so if you're good it doesn't yeah right, <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> and i knew drew had grown up with a toxic father and drew was like a kinsey scale six gay guy who was you know his dad you know berated him all the time about the fact that he wasn't man enough and so I called him and said, you know, I've got this idea of starting a, men, a masculine and men's discussion group where we talk through these things and we work through them. Would you like to run this with me? You know, I couldn't think of a better person to do this with. And he, you know, after hearing the idea, he was like, hell yes, I'm in. And so we started Positive Masculinity Monthly Free Discussion Group. And anybody that identifies masculine can come to it. We've also had some moms that are raising single moms raising boys ask if they could come join and the group unanimously said yes we welcome wow. them. yeah we've also had female therapists that treat clients that wanted you know to learn some more tools to help them with masculinity issues ask if they could come join in and they they have and so i've been running this monthly discussion group for four and a half years now wow my my good friend drew has since passed away from cancer and you know we're coming up this month on the second anniversary of his death and you know it was really kind of a bittersweet thing him and i started this book together he yeah he passed and wasn't able to see it come fully together so you know i hope he's looking down smiling that everything's carrying on i'm sure he is and i'm sorry for your loss i really am i read about it online yeah yeah miss him every day i mean we had a lot of fun together, you know. Mm -hmm. One of the things I loved about Drew is we both loved drag shows and football and baseball. I mean, we're these weird guys. <laughs> it's not weird. You, you just, you just like weird guys. We have just a lot of like fun, weird guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What's your favorite memory of Drew? Well, when we would go on road trips to do activist things, you know, and like him and I were both you know like i said involved in p flag and some other things We'd go on these road trips to do things we would put queen on in the car and sing to the top of our lungs with total abandon like we would just be belting it out we were having karaoke you know that's what cars are for to belt out the songs if this is a shower thing or a car thing on a road trip it's mandatory yes okay. no if it's to trader joe's or you know to wisconsin or whatever for whatever reason yes yeah like definitely you know, that's what you do in the car with your friend. Yeah. I miss how much, you know, we were both major change makers and that's our mission, you know, like we both, but yet we had so much fun doing it together and would be silly and catty sometimes. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Campy and I mean, we had caftan parties together. We just silly stuff. You know? Wow. What yeah. a special relationship. I'm glad you were able to experience that. Yeah, it was one of a kind. Mm, sounds like you both were. That's our, that's amazing. Book. Yeah, I dedicated the book to him and our friendship. Oh, wonderful. Oh my goodness. Oh, I can't wait to get the audio book. Let's see here. We talked about, we said, tell us about your book, but here we are. How was your business? How has your business grown over time? And do you have a team that supports you? We talked a little bit about your interns and how you came that across that. That was before that. stream. So no one has heard that yet. So we're just yes. going to pretend we didn't have that conversation and have it. We didn't have up. that conversation at all. We never <laughs> talked. We didn't. This is the first time we're talking this very second. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer and I'm Atlas of Phoenix. <laughs> we, we keep having uh, part Jennifer. of the interview before the show starts. I mean, we're having so much fun. <laughs> it's so fun.
Yeah. <laughs> How lucky are we that we get to have this fun activity as part of our job? It's so great. It's like an antidepressant. I love it. Yeah, it totally is. It totally is. <laughs> well, about, I think it was four years ago now, I was asked to be a part of this program with a company called Super Purposes that creates job programs and career coaching programs for folks. And they do certain ones for niche groups, like they did one for military spouses that get moved around every couple of years. They've done one for people that have been formerly incarcerated. And they wanted to do a specific job career program that was for trans and gender nonconforming folks to overcome the unique obstacles we face. And so they teach on these teaching videos and you do them on your, your own time when you sign up for the program. Everything from how to build your LinkedIn profile to how to interview well, to how to negotiate for more pay or vacation time and things like that. And I, so they need somebody when they do these niche programs that is from that community to help work with their team on what our obstacles are and come up with creative ways to overcome them. And they hired me as their, what they call their super shepherd for that program. So I'm on all the training videos and was a part of this amazing program, the first ever career program specifically for trans and gender queer people in the world. And you can look that up at superpurposes.com. And <clears throat> part of my pay was to get interns for a couple of years. And so they have a, also a company called Super Interns and they help folks that are either changing careers or that are in college and want to get build their portfolio or get some a little bit of experience, do a 200 hour internship. And so that was part of my deal. So I have over 40 interns that work for me at Positive Masculinity. And it's mm -hmm. so refreshing. You know, a lot of them are young people in college. And when they read about our mission, they're so excited about it. And so enthusiastic mm -hmm. about it. They love it. And I've got, you know, like a graphic design team, a communications team, a digital video team. I've got all these different teams of interns that are helping build the company, a web team. So, and they're amazing. Congratulations. I just love young people. They're just so innovative. I just love it. Yes. A lot of fun. And they keep wow. me motivated because their excitement re-excites me about the yes. <laughs> It's like a loop of infinity. Let's see here. Can you tell us more about your social media and YouTube content, which is a perfect segue? Well, you know, not long ago, I started a TikTok because some of the guys in masculinity, some of the younger guys said, you need to do a TikTok. So I did. And it's growing. Like I'm growing. I've been growing over a hundred people a day. Amazing. Yeah, congratulations. I saw one of your TikToks with Brene Brown. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. I love Brene Brown. Talk about her in the book a lot. Okay, yeah, hard not to. Yeah, Yeah. when you're talking about trying to help guys learn to be vulnerable and be in touch with their emotional being. Yeah. That's a go-to, that's a go-to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a vulnerability <laughs> mama, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, I just... I use social media to encourage. We have a whole social media team with these young people with their innovative ideas that are helping me, the old guy, you know, pulling me along. <laughs> nice. Oh my goodness. You're like the dinghy, right? <laughs> I need a millennial. Help. <laughs> give, me a gen, give me a Gen Zer and a millennial stat. Yes. <laughs> So they're very patient with me and walk me through how to do it. I mean, I think I learned pretty quick for an old dog, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the patience is wonderful. I have a friend of mine who's about 28 and they want to take over my social media stuff too. And it's just like, they're like, you need to harvest a bunch of TikTok videos. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? 
So I got to do that. You know, I was told, so I got to do it. <laughs> yeah, well, my most humbling experience when you're talking about tech and stuff like that is, is when my wife and I go visit our two granddaughters and the eight-year-old wanted me to play Minecraft with her. And then after a little bit, she looks over at me and says, Papa, you really need a tutor in this. <laughs> Why doesn't like, the eight-year-old oh. tutor you in it? Because <laughs> she's too busy. She's to busy. Taking <laughs> <laughs> my patootin there, I worked it in. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she can be a super intern or something. I don't know. <laughs> super intern. Chief, chief intern. Chief intern to Papa, yes. <laughs> oh, I love this next question. What are your thoughts about singing? Unless you have more to say about this before we go into this question. Sometimes I jump questions because social know, media stuff. Thing, yeah, I think the only other thing I want to say about the business and the social media is one of the things I'm just very proud of is that last June, the same month that my book came out, we launched blogs on our website. And if you go to positivemasculinitynow.org, you can, there's a blog page on there and we have different contributors write blogs. And we're always looking for new people that are interested in writing about subjects that have something to do with gender or masculinity. We've had people of all genders write blogs for us. And I think it's just such a great way for different perspectives to come into this conversation. And we have a whole how to submit a blog on there. So we're always looking for new contributors. And I think you'll find if you look through the blogs that have been published, there's quite a variety of topics we're, we've covered. And, wow. and we want to cover more. Right. So. That's wonderful. Okay. I might submit something. You're just, I'm just saying I might. I don't know. Okay. And so, is so I saw this really cute video of you singing on socials the other <laughs> last night. And frankly, Mac... I was in choir for nine years. I love singing. Yeah. Singing wow. is my heart. Like I love it so much. And I've been on T and I don't know how to sing anymore. It's really strange as someone oh, wow. who like was a first soprano and like, like when I first started college before I switched to religion as my major, I was going to be a music major. I wanted to sing professionally, but oh, wow. then I learned I couldn't play piano even if I tried and I can still play guitar, but piano, not very good at that. So, but you had this really sweet little video with you singing and talking about all of the health benefits of singing. And I yeah. wonder if you would be open to maybe sharing some of those health benefits or even singing what those are, if you feel like a reprise <laughs> performance for our podcast episode today. Oh my goodness, please, because I just had my second singing lesson Saturday and I'm oh, so excited. Cute, Alice. That's so it cute. is cute because my voice is cracking and I'm just like trying to belt out scales. So yes, <laughs> please share. <laughs> well, you know, I like you. I grew up singing in choirs and, you know, choruses. And I've been even been in the Seattle men's chorus. And I before starting T, I was already in a lower second alto. So <laughs> then what was funny is in the men's chorus. When I started on T, I was going down a section every concert series. I was moving to a new section going lower. And now I'm a baritone. So nice. that's how that goes. But wow. I aspire. Yeah. <laughs> Singing is one of those things. You know, we have this, in this amazing machine we were given to walk this ride of life in. We have this inner pharmacy in our brains. Oh, wow. 
and there are certain tricks and tips you can use. You know, one of the things I've had as a professional athlete is a lot of sports psychologists work with us when you're on things like the U.S. karate team. And we learn these tips to lift ourselves up if we're feeling a little down. Right. And lots of things can let off those happy chemicals in our inner pharmacy. Exercise can do that. Hugs can do that. Oxytocin. Yes. There are consensual hugs. Consensual touch can do that. Singing can do that. You know, so it actually lets off all these happy chemicals. So you can be feeling a little down and then just sing a song. Make it simple to last your whole life long. Don't worry that it's not good enough for anyone else to hear. Just sing a song. La, 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 la. You remember that from Sesame Street? Uh, yes, I do. Vividly. Oh, my goodness. Jeez. Yeah, I was so happy after my singing lesson. I could have skipped all the way home, but it was a 20-minute drive, so I just took a lift. But, yes, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So, and the thing of it is, you don't have to have a good singing voice. It still does this beautiful thing for you of letting off those chemicals and changing your mood yes yeah great wow i'm reading something here okay no Um, don't worry about it it's just okay yeah okay is there anything (laughs) else you want to cover about singing before we move on to (laughs) other things well i just think music is a magical tool altogether music is one of those things that you can even speak different languages and not be able to fully understand one another when you talk but there's something about music that it brings everyone in the group together even if you even if you don't understand the meaning of the words you're saying right there's something about that 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 brings unity yeah collective experience yeah i really really felt that way it's very special. I feel that way about Prince and how he, when he passed away, the whole world from top to bottom turned purple that day. And, you know, it was particularly hard hitting in Minneapolis. And we all went down to First Avenue and there were like 10,000 of us. And that was the first time I heard Lizzo. I didn't actually see Lizzo, but Lizzo sang Purple Rain for us outside of First Avenue. And then there was a dance party inside and we couldn't get in because it was just backed up like blocks. And so we just went and got something to eat. But, you know, that was how we processed the night that he passed away. Like we heard about it morning and then it was about six o'clock when we went down there and it was just so many people so so yeah yeah music also has the power to let our armor down to bring our you know what i mean that's why they use it in church and things because it it lowers our armor yes i I had recently made a comparison that neo soul is like goth music for people that love soul music and that (laughs) they're both kind of like sad genres the difference between neo soul and goth is that neo soul is really like it's heartbreaking but there's like a little bit of hope at the end of each song you know whereas like goth is like i'm just gonna cry my heart out i'm gonna break all these pictures of you and i'm gonna fall in love with you on friday and it's just like you know it's like it's wonderful both those genres mean so much to me (laughs) so yeah the other little interesting thing about music that some people know about me and some don't i um Due to my extreme martial arts background, I got to bodyguard for a lot of very famous musicians. And that was quite an interesting and amazing experience. And it was prior, most of that work was prior to my transition. And Mm -hmm. at the time I was collectively the highest ranking female martial artist in the world. And so that opened a lot of doors. So I got to work with Diana Ross and 
Amy Grant and the Mandrell sisters. And one of the things about, and Al Green, one of the things who was amazing, he's an awesome guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> he seems like it. <laughs> Those love songs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My biggest problem with Al is that, you know, sometimes he would get a little high and <laughs> the day I was working with him, don't know if he's still doing that. But he would like walk right out into the crowd. We were doing a, a, an outdoor music festival and he would walk down into the crowd without giving us a warning. And then of course oh, your security uh-huh. team is going, you know, you're all right, right. down there around him. You know? like, <laughs> what are you doing? Gotta give us a heads up, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's still full of love though. It's so amazing. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. It looks like we have a couple more questions. Did you have anything else to say about the question we just asked you? No? Okay. Okay. We're going to switch topics. Let me switch topics. How has your gender journey changed or influenced your sexuality and desire? The sex question. Yes. (laughs) Does your gender journey and your sexuality intersect? Yes, it does. They are separate things, but to me, they do intersect. Yes. And I would say my sexuality has changed a lot in the way I looked at things. Like I look at who I'm attracted to very differently than I did before, right? Can you explain how you do that now? Yeah, because actually a person's gender doesn't matter to me anymore. That's what I discovered too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because to me, you know, when you really think through what is it that attracts me to a person? Well, it's Mm -hmm. not their plumbing. Right. Right. <laughs> because when yeah. you're attracted to somebody at first, you never usually see their plumbing unless you're at a nudist colony or something. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you know? <laughs> we're very specific parties. Right. No. Very specific parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I'm attracted to is a person's heart and mind and the way they treat other people, the way they walk in the world, mm-hmm. you know, their energy. And, you know, so I just was, I just, you know, totally thought through that process of before, you know, when I was very young, I dated a couple of guys because I grew up in that Bible belt, you know, thing, and it never really clicked for me. There was one guy I dated as a young person that I really felt a connection to, but I never felt another connection with a guy and I dated women. And so the rest of the time, and so then now I consider myself pansexual or omnisexual. Um, yeah. I claimed that this year too, or last year. Yeah. I was just like, I just, I don't really, I just, are you interesting to talk to? Or are you full of love? How do you treat your friends and loved ones? How do you treat your pets, your plants? You know, like, how do you walk in the world? What's your energy like? And that means more to me. So yeah, I actually claimed omnisexual last year and pansexual. And now it's just, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go through that too. That's interesting that you went through that as well. I wonder if age plays a role in that as well too, because, you know, we're both older people. And so I don't know if that plays a role, but it, I felt like it might've for me because I've dated a lot of different kinds of people. And then it was just boiled down to like, you know, what do we talk about and how do we talk about it? You know, so that's kind of it. Alice, has- I don't know. I'm 33. And since starting tea, I went from being a lesbian to pansexual. Oh, wow. And, and for me, it really does feel like it's related to the hormones in my brain. Okay. Like, you know, I mean, I married a trans woman, so my definition of lesbian expanded 
because she came with her default parts when I met her. She wasn't post-op, so I was like, oh, do things. I don't know, and figured <laughs> it out. It was fine. But like, mm -hmm. even then, it still was very much like only femme people is what I'm interested in. For whatever reason, that's where I was. But since switching to injectable tea, my sexual orientation has absolutely changed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's even wild. different from gel to tea, from like yeah, gel it to is. shots. Yeah, yeah, that is when it happened. The gel didn't do that. Shots did within a month. I was like, oh, now I'm gay. All right, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> right. What are all these yeah. gay man dreams that I'm having? Interesting, I curious. Tried the gel. I always, I only, I started right away with the shots, and yeah, I definitely think I say, you know, so when, once you cross this gender rainbow bridge, and one of one of the things that was you mentioned age. I think the older, you know the more life experience, we have a lot to think back on about the BS we were fed around gender. I mean, mm -hmm. you're thinking through that and you're going, well, that, that all, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. I was a preteen and teenager in the eighties, you know, and the saving grace was Prince because he, you know, didn't assign anything. He literally has a song that opens with, I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, I'm something right. you don't understand, you know? And it's just like, oh my God, you're talking to me. You know, in 1999, is such a quint quintessential album for queers in that era, because that's how we discovered we were queer was listening to 1999, you know? And then it was just like, oh, and then we just latched on and we never let go even after his death, you know? And so, yeah, so yeah, that's pretty cool. David Bowie, yes. David Bowie very much. Oh, yeah, definitely. My mom was very happy to be like, David Bowie's bisexual. And I was like, what's bisexual? That sounds cool. You know, and so it was just like, you know, like, I'm going to be bisexual, whatever that is. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the first bisexual person who had a huge influence on me was I was a young child. I was a young, probably middle school, probably sixth grade, something around there. And I was at my grandparents' house at this time, and a primetime special came on. My grandmother was going to watch it, and so I watched it with her. And it was this lady that mesmerized me. Ooh. I couldn't take my eyes off her. I couldn't decide if I wanted to be her or do her. I wasn't sure which, mm -hmm. but I just couldn't take my eyes off of her. And her name was Marlena Dietrich. Oh, my God. Now. <laughs> oh, my God. Now you're talking to me. Yes. <laughs> If you don't know who Marlena Dietrich is, she's an icon in the queer community. And she was actually the first woman to kiss another woman on the big screen. Oh, wow. She was out as bisexual back then when that wasn't, you know, you just. She was Marlena Dietrich, you know, right? She was Marlena Dietrich. And basically she told him, I'm going to be me. I don't care what you all think. That was her whole modest operandi. Yes. And her and Greta Garbo, because Greta Garbo was in a lesbian film called Christine or Christina, where she plays like an important like royalty who has a lover who's a woman. So yeah, I have that movie. So yes. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. What stuck out to me about her in the world I was in was that she played with gender in a way that I hadn't seen before, except of course, you know, Klinger on MASH was probably mm -hmm. the character I saw play with gender a little bit, you know, outside the gender lines that I was growing up with, the strict gender lines. She did that too. I mean, she would come out one minute in a beautiful ballroom gown with her hair done just right and all her makeup on mm -hmm. and be this leading lady, right? Then a few minutes later, she'd come out in a man's, you know, tux with tails and a top hat and a long cigarette, you know? And mm -hmm. I, right. Oh my goodness. I, I feel like, yeah, it was fascinating.
It was so fascinating. I feel like for me, your Marlena Dietrich is my Tim Curry in Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was just like, whatever, I just want this person. That's it. And I was like five or six or maybe seven or whatever. And it was just like Rocky Horror Picture Show, like seeing Tim Curry like that, I was just like, oh, I just, whatever, I just want to be like, whatever this is, I want this for myself. And then like, I watched the movie three months ago and I was like, it's a trans tragedy, but it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen in my life. And I just, I love that. So I love that film so much. And to be able to watch it outside of an audience and all the shenaniganery that goes on when you go to the theater and to fully absorb the story that it's so far ahead of its time, it's not ready to be remade yet. Oh, it's yeah. so far ahead of its time totally i mean then yeah. we can talk about yentl and we can talk about yes of movies like that victor victoria those were things that in my world were showing me there is some flexibility to these strict little boxes mm -hmm. or maybe there's hope for me that i didn't have to be stuck in this box. well you know it's interesting my mother was always accusing me of being a lesbian while she was also introducing me to like lesbian queer or gay things and i was like well, yeah, I mean, you kind of influenced me. So here I am, you know, but at the same time, it's in my DNA. So, you know, what are you going to do? Oh my goodness. Oh, do you have anything to add gender to this conversation? I don't want to leave you out. Oh, I don't have any stellar videos to throw into the wonderful name dropping that's happening. I do think both of your hats are really fabulous though. Thank you very much. I think it's important to have representation like that to create the possibility dreams for people. Like when I'm, mm -hmm. what I'm gleaning from what you two are sharing is like having that kind of queer, trans, gender diverse representation makes space for people to realize that's possible. And that's honestly yeah. part of why I run this channel is I want to be like trans in front of a camera on purpose. I'm transitioning right. in front of a camera on purpose. If you go look at the start of this channel, my very earliest VODs, it's before I started HRT. My voice is totally different. I still have the little butch haircut, but like, you know, my voice is different. My face shape has changed a lot in the last two and a half years, like on HRT, like you heard me record my little journal thing at the start. And that's used to be weekly. Now it's monthly because the changes, it's not as much that's changing as fast as it was, but you know, there's still a lot of these pieces that are going. And I basically wanted to make the media that I didn't feel like existed or didn't exist enough of. So that's why I have this podcast is we need to tell our right. stories and be heard and document it so that like people can find it later and realize, wow, here's the show. Like here's episode 74, 74 trans people were interviewed on this show. What's happening? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's cool to have us telling our own stories instead of other people telling them because sometimes the struggle we run into with shows like that is cis straight people are writing queer stories sometimes not always and mm -hmm. so you know they write those stories based on what they think trans people are like instead of having actual trans people in the room making those editorial decisions like no like this is what it's like. And I, I have a friend who's a filmmaker in LA and we've had one or two Zoom calls where I've talked about, hey, here's some little scenes you could work into one of your shows or TV episodes or whatever that's mm -hmm. like documents these little moments of trans life that we don't see very often. I don't mm -hmm. know if I've ever seen a trans person taking testosterone on a, on the big screen, like either mm -hmm. in like mass, like Netflix level distributed mm -hmm. television or like, in a film where they're actively doing the injection on the set. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that. Why You'll not? You'll see the beautiful boy. Cause I yeah, actually video recorded that my first shot on T on, ca on camera. I so you'll that. see it. 
So yeah, I just, I think documenting those little moments in our lives and like, there's so many little trans jokes, like my wife and I are both trans. So we make all kinds of jokes with each other all the time that like some people just don't understand, but there needs to be more trans comedy. Like, so our media representation is tragedy and trauma and it's like, but we're really funny. Look at this episode. We've been giggling this whole time. Like we're hilarious people. And so I wanted to do like a commercial about something that happened to me. Like I had like a pride party and I had a bunch of chocolate and I kept eating the chocolate and Mm -hmm. I went to get a piece of chocolate. I just started transitioning. I just started my HRT and I was like, went to get the chocolate. I was like, where are my midnight Milky Ways? Where are my midnight Milky Ways? And I literally thought, you know, the maintenance guy came in and took the chocolate when I wasn't home with it. And I thought, no, Jason wouldn't do that. He's a nice guy. But what if somebody broke in and took all your chocolate? And so I was walking around the house. And I was like, where's the chocolate? Now I'm 50 at this time. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you slowly ate all the chocolate all week long. You're having a senior moment and you're transitioning and you have a second puberty. What the hell's happening here? And so I wanted to make that a little commercial for a beautiful boy. I just never got around so to it. But that was senior moment thing, chocolate, all of this stuff <laughs> happening at once about a month after taking tea. And so, yeah, yeah, we need more of those moments on film to show people, you know, and that's the thing, like when I was your age, we didn't have as much queer cinema and I was so hungry for it. I was running to the theater and secretly going into the video store and getting the VHS tapes and going home. And now I'm in, a, in all these queer film festivals that I'm submitting to. And there's like, thousands upon thousands of films that are being sent into these film festivals, which didn't exist a long time ago, or maybe they did, but they didn't have this much of an influx. So I just warms my heart that there's just more and more being made. And I'm just so greedy for it all. I just want to absorb it all. Yes. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We have one more question. A few more questions. We have like five more questions. Yeah. Um, And we have eight minutes for all of them. Because I don't want okay. to Mac on forever. I know Mac's going yes. to do dinner. We love you, but we can't keep on. you forever. Okay. <laughs> what strategies do you recommend to overcome body dysphoria? You know, I really am working on developing a workshop around this because mm. I believe the best way to the best way to transition in a healthy way is mm. to be in our body, right? Appreciate our body. I try to get people to think of the things they're grateful for in their body. You know, my body allows me to get where I want to go, right? Just think about what you can be grateful for. I know you mentioned you saw one of my videos on gratitude and it's all the things that even though there are things you want to change about your body and all of us have things we want to change about our bodies, right? Yeah. But we also have probably a lot we can be grateful for. Yes. Yeah. I remember before top surgery, I did a little video and I was like, you know, paying homage to people that have breast cancer and they have to have the surgery for top surgery. And then me making the elective choice because I also have gender dysphoria, but you know, I had a sweet rack. I'm not going to lie. And it was just, you know, like, I was like, you know, these, you know, got me opportunities for things that, you know, I'm not ashamed of. (laughs) (laughs) And my body's in great shape too. So I'm just like, I had a sweet rep. I'm not like going to hate on these things, you know, but yeah, if if you need help with that course, let me know. (laughs) Well, one of the things I try to remind people is that each cell in our body has its own intelligence. And so whatever messages we're sending those cells in our body, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the book by doctor, I'm trying to remember his name. It's about the water crystals and how it influences the shape of the water crystals. When they- the, the person that did the, what the bleep do we know film? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So, so if we're sending negative messages to our body, I'm just saying to the, that, you know, it's not good for our overall health. So that's why I try to get people to focus on sending messages to your body, even though there's things you want to change that you have gratitude, you know, for, and that sends your body like positives, you know, and then as you're going through those changes, keep being grateful and letting your body know you're grateful for the changes that are happening too, you know, and I just think, I just try to remember that Every little cell has intelligence and I want the, that cell to be getting good, happy messages. So it keeps mm. me healthy. Right? Yes. Yes. Good self-talk, good self-body talk. What yeah. do you wish someone had prepared you be, before you started your medical transition? Wow. Just so, another light question. You know, yeah, I talk about this actually quite a bit. There's definitely some things I wish someone would have given me a little heads up about okay like i'm somebody who's traveled the world teaching self-defense to empower people and the first time me walking down the street looking like i do now in the evening and a woman walking by herself crossed the street because she didn't know if i was safe that hit me like a ton of bricks it just hurt Mm -hmm. my heart yeah right yeah i know that she doesn't know my history and my background and my story And I also know that the biggest predator to women is men because I've read all the statistics. I teach self-defense, you know, but it's still hard to take that. Yeah. And I would say the other thing is I've taught children my whole life, you know, something you do in the martial arts, right? You teach children Mm. and I love children and I have six nieces. I'm a happy trunkle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an uncle. But <laughs> I love that. I love that. Guys, gay guys say they're gunkles, so we're trunkles. Yeah. I love it. I love that so much. <laughs> so, so I love kids. And that's the other thing, you know, especially as a guy now with silver hair, I used to be able to interact with a little kid in public anytime and be silly with them. I've also graduated from clown school. So there's a clown in me. There's a silly yeah, part. Yeah, totally. You know, and I wow. love play and interact. And I would do this at restaurants or if I'm standing in the grocery store line and there's a kid in the cart in front of me, you know, I'm always playing around with the little kid. Well, when you present female, you can get away with that. Right. You know, what I am very keen to watch for now is if the mother or grandmother, whoever's with the child starts looking at me like, are you a creepy old guy? You know, because their immediate, a lot of times thought is that. Yeah. And it's fine if my wife is with me or a female friend is with me, you don't get the same looks. But, you know, I didn't even think about that beforehand and how I would automatically just be perceived as I could possibly be this yeah. creepy guy. You know, I have to watch out for that too, as someone who's African American, yeah. to be very careful about my engagement looking like this. And so, yeah. It's a different kind of thing than being a black woman to being a black man or being black trans mask. Totally. Um, yeah. And those are hard to take. You know, they're hard to swallow. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm, my goodness. And the other um, thing, I've definitely noticed the difference in sexism. Like before, you know, now I walk into a restaurant and I'm looked at as a middle-aged businessman and I have watched the hostess or host, whichever it is, walk directly past a woman that's been there waiting longer than me to me and ask me if I'm ready to be seated. Oh, that happens. That weirdness. I, of course you, I redirect. Yeah. Yes. Experience, I notice what it. What about her? Yeah. And the, what's so interesting she about it. She was here is that, first. Yeah, exactly. That's what I say. And the woman will usually look at me like, 
what planet are you from? Because most guys, it's not even on their radar. They just don't even realize. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I get surd and I, that's how patootie became a thing because I was talking about getting in lifts and like, you know, people just, oh yes, sir. Where do you want to go, sir? And you know, oh women, they're just blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, stop kissing my patootie. I can't tip you because I'm poor. So just, let's just go. <laughs> and so, yeah, but I noticed that too. And it's so uncomfortable because I'm just like, if you only knew, right. you know, I don't know if you would attack me or if you would just you know, stop, st- you just straight up stonewall me in the car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like being that car and feeling like really unsafe, even though they're trying to be like, you know, oh, sir, sir. And I'm just like, oh, this is so gross. It yeah. was gross before, but now it just feels like a different kind of level of gross. Right. You know? yeah. It's underlying stuff that a lot of people, it's unconscious bias that a lot of people don't even realize they have, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We could talk forever about that. Concluding questions. Here we go. Is there anything we missed about positive masculinity that you would like to make sure you say? Well, we, you know, have all kinds of events. Some of them are co-ed and some of them are for masculine identifying people only. One of the things I'm really proud of is that we last year hosted an event called How to Support Women in the Workplace. And it was directed at, you know, teaching men how to be an ally and supportive of women in the workplace. I created a panel of four top business women, and, you know, we let them explain their experiences first and mm-hmm. how they're treated in the corporate world and what they really need from us to be an ally. One of the things I tell people all the time is, same thing, you know, for us as trans people, don't assume you know what another group of people needs yeah. when you're trying to be an ally to them, ask them because, you know, I don't want cis people assuming how I need to be supported. I'd rather them ask, right? Right, well, yeah. that's the whole thing about consent, isn't it? Yeah. You know, respecting sovereignty and autonomy and respecting my use of my own particular agency, you know, so please ask me, you know, yeah. yes. We all don't need support in the same way. Right. No, the three of us need support in three different ways. Yeah. Mac, I'm curious mm-hmm. if any of those four top business women are trans women. They were not trans women. No, they were not. That's a growing edge opportunity. My wife is a software engineer. She's been at the same company for 15 years or something. She got maybe somewhere between four and seven promotions before she started transitioning. She's gotten zero promotions since transitioning seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh. That shows you yeah. it's the exact same person with the exact same capabilities, different gender, stop getting promotions. So it's stark. It's shocking. And she's been on their like women in tech, like conversation lecture stuff. So, you know, just throwing yeah, it out there. Do it. Next time we do it, we will definitely have a trans woman or two on the panel yeah. for sure. You could ask yeah. her, you know her, you could ask her if you want to. I'm sure yeah, she'd be delighted sure. to participate. But yeah, it's interesting to to think about that because the trans feminine perspective is also different from the cis femme perspective because there is that gender history component that comes in and plays this really interesting role because also just like we were discussing what it's like maybe being socialized female and then missing out on some of the masculine socialization, trans women have the same in the reverse. And so it's like, you know, what works for cis women maybe isn't going to work the same way for trans women. So having those people at the table is important too. It's cool to talk about it though.
Yeah. I just love this conversation today. Can you share an experience with gender euphoria besides the hat and the lovely shirt and the purple suit? I mean, what about besides those things? (laughs) (laughs) I love, you know, feeling good in a well-fitted suit. I just, there's something about that just feels so good. Whenever I go get a new suit and put it on and, you know, get it tailored to where it fits just right. That to me is a gender euphoria experience. Well, you Uh, look so sharp in that purple suit. Oh my goodness. It's on Instagram, everybody. It's the first picture. It's the New Year's picture. Please go absorb all of that handsomeness. Please. Thank you. Do me a favor. (laughs) And I would say probably the other, you know, the happiest day of my journey was my legal name change. There's just nothing, I don't think to me, that stood out as just the quintessential, I have finally gotten here. Because, you know, there's something about, you know, when you have to hear that old legal name that just doesn't fit you and represent you, it comes up, you know, when you're dealing with insurance or when you're dealing with any type of thing, it comes up. And so to get Mm -hmm. that all legally changed was just like, and here's the interesting, funny thing about that. I did it here in court in Seattle and, and, you know, the judge was just wonderful. I will have yeah. to say the judge here, she was just amazing. And so was my judge. Yes. Oh my goodness. The older cis white guy and he was wonderful. Yes. Yeah. yeah he was I, smiling the entire time. He was so excited. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. I just recently got dead named for a rental application. They like rejected the application, but they like said dear my dead name. And I said, you know, thank you for your response. Also, you dead named me and I'll be sharing this information. And about a week later, it was yesterday, I got an email that said, oh my God, we looked up dead naming. We didn't know what it meant. We were really sorry, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, it was so weird. And then it offset me for the whole day. And I couldn't understand why. Then I felt melodramatic about it. Then I felt bad feeling melodramatic. And so I reached out to my community and they were like, that sucks. And so that was the first time I'd ever been dead named. And so like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was a gender un, un, for, un euphoria day. If that's a word, we'll make it a word today. Yes. Gender, gender dysphoric. I read an article, you know, a few years back on for the Huffington Post called Being a Trans Ninja. And one of the funny... Oh my goodness. One of the funny things, you know, now, you know, looking like this, you can walk in and I've walked into conversations with people where they had no idea I was trans, right? And you'll hear them talking about things about trans people sometimes. So you're like this trans ninja and there they don't realize they're talking about all this in front of you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Things happen like my old name was on my, um, was on an account with Best Buy where I had bought sound equipment for my surround sound before. And I went in there after the name change and after transitioning and everything, and they are looking up my history and they said, well, you know, who is this? And, you know, this account is under this name. And I said, you know, this is really funny because this was my quick on the spot comedy way to handle this. I said, that's my ex-wife. Can you take that woman off of there, please? (laughs) And they didn't blink an eye. Oh, we're so sorry, sir. They just took her off and it was my old dead name. Now I've got a tool. Thank you. Thank you for that tip. So we have one final question for you, Mac. Sorry, go ahead. What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues? Like if you have a 30 second 
like soapbox moment, what would you want to make sure you say to people? Find supportive community and, you know, keep that as your inner circle because we face a lot of tough things. You know, it's not easy to be in a group of people where we turn on the news every day and find out somebody's trying to make a law against us somewhere doing something basic, right? So I think it's really important to have that inner circle of support that we can go to and get fed and get lifted up, especially if you're, you know, you're out there trying to make change in the world because sometimes it's exhausting. So that, that yeah. inner supportive circle is really important to have. Yeah, it is. Oh my goodness. That's beautiful, beautiful. I just want to thank you so much for all the work that you've done in our community across the country and the world. I just, I'm so moved by all of this and I just had such a wonderful time with you today. I just wanted to make sure I got that in there before we did the crossbowmos and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I've had a Thank great you. time with both of you. I'd love to hang out. We have to grab a beer sometimes or whatever. <laughs> oh, yes, that's we can do virtual beer. That's fine. Yeah. I'll probably have wine because I'm fancy, but yes. <laughs> I'll have herbal tea because oh, wow. I don't drink. Okay. <laughs> we can have coffee or whatever. Beverage yeah. Zoom, yes. <laughs> I'll be very butch with my herbal tea. It's okay. I'll just exude... Awesome positive masculinity i mean you can, this is masculinity is a spectrum we've learned that today so you yes. can have much tea and i'll have my you know mask whatever wine and we'll be fine yes, yes. <laughs> we'll be well, masculine and drink it'll be so good Thank you so much, Mac, for being on the show. Y'all, Mac Scotty McGregor is an author, activist, teacher, master martial artist, and the founder of Positive Masculinity. You can find out more at positivemasculinitynow.mac is also on Instagram. Positive Masculinity Now is the handle there. We'll have some resources linked in the VOD later. So if you want to check us out on YouTube or podcasting platforms, it'll be there for you. Here's this week's Clouder Query. So this is where you, the audience, get to answer a question. Your Clouder Query is, what are some examples of positive masculinity that you have practiced or seen other people practice in your life. So next week's guest is Denari Grace. She, they pronouns, and we're going to be discussing intersectional social justice. A few community updates. Our Clatter Contributor Appreciation Day is coming up this Thursday, January 12th. The Discord movie event, we have our monthly event. So speaking of community to be involved in, our monthly movie event is coming up in the Discord server on January 15th. It's going to be The Road to El Dorado and the very first Tinkerbell movie. And just as a personal aside, I'm going to be away from my hysterectomy, as I mentioned, starting Wednesday, January 11th. So you're going to have a guest streamer from that Wednesday night and the whole following entire next week. And I'll be back with Jennifer on January 23rd. Thank you all for being here. Trans rights are human rights. That's right. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays at twitch.tv forward slash gendermaster. Show notes will appear in the edited version of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you would like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender diverse community, The Clatter wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics, and we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. 
You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform, or engaging with our posts and content on social media at Jennifer Pod and Gender Meowster. You can take a few moments to also rate the show. We will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power. This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to those helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Artist credit for Jennifer. Genderful's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, a.k.a. Soma. The Gender Master logo was designed by That's Barnaby and edited with consent by Transgriffin. Genderful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tex. Genderful is edited and mixed by Transgriffin and Alexis Fandom. Genderful's social media is managed by queer to help Genderful is hosted by Atlas O. Phoenix and Gender Master. Genderful is the intellectual property of Gender Master. All rights reserved. Trans rights are human rights. That's right.